0: I'm excited about giving this particular sermon entitled Jesus, Our Peace. And I want to focus on the book of Ephesians, and in the scripture in particular in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, where it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier that is dividing the wall of hostility. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that Jesus is our peace. And how important is that for us to understand and appreciate the peace that we have that comes from Christ? Well, first of all, I will kind of back up again and, and recognize that in the prophecies that we have, in the prophecy that I read last week from Isaiah chapter nine and verse six, a prophecy that the, the Israelites looked forward to, they delighted in, they quoted it. They understood it. They had hope in it. But not only they, as as we mentioned last week, the, the Samaritan woman looked forward to this as being their salvation. Simeon looked forward to it as being the salvation of Israel. But let us read here from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where Isaiah tells us again that unto us a child is born and a son is given. So it's not just a child, but we find a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, and what I want to focus on today, the Prince of Peace. So when we think about not just peace, but the Prince of Peace, I don't think it can be put any more poetically than that, because he is princely in the way in which he delivers peace. And so when we look at these things and we recognize that Jesus, it was prominent in this prophecy that Jesus would indeed bring peace, that he'd be the prince of peace as well. And, that the in, and it goes on to tell us of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. What I have found and continue to find, and I hope that you find as well, That as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we also grow in peace—a peace that is more than we ever imagined, and with a greater understanding than we had before. And that He is indeed is our peace. And so, what we want to ask ourselves today are some questions about this: that is, how is Jesus our peace? And is he our present peace? Is he just our future peace? Is he, does he make actually peace with our past as well is a question we can ask. And how about our future peace? But we also have to ask, and it's important for us to understand, what is peace? So, not to bore you to tears, but I, you know, I just went to Webster and looked up peace. And I looked up the first definition that they had of peace. And this is what it says. The normal, non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. So, we would consider that if the world was not at war, we would have peace. Hold that thought. The second one is an agreement, or treaty between warring or antagonistic nations to end hostilities. And the third is a mutual a state of mutual harmony between people or groups. So, if we go by that, we recognize that in our world today that we do not have peace because there's wars all over the place. And you think, how in the world can it be any different than that and how can we find peace? Now, so let me ask you a question for us to better understand this. So I'm going to start for asking you to reflect back upon your childhood and your parents. And the question is and I assume that probably most of your parents at one time or another, argued, had a disagreement, a fuss. There were words, uh, elevation of you know sounds, tone of voice. Oh, by the way, tone of voice changes the peaceful situation. So, I I think of my, my own parents. And because there was authority from the top down, that is, my dad had absolute authority and the like, uh, there wasn't a lot of arguing. But there were times when there was a cold war. Now, a cold war is the kind of war where there's nothing said. Uh, you're, I, I call it pouting. They're, you're mad at somebody else. You're not saying a whole lot of things, but it's war. And you're, treat, you're mistreating them by the fact that you're not saying anything to us. Imagine what that would be, for example, if Jesus said, I have nothing to say to you, and I could care less about you in this moment. How that might feel for us, and how peaceful that would be so I say this because you see the absence of war is not peace you got to understand this then you think well we've got a treaty I don't know how many of you have lived in situations or times or like again in marriages and the like where there's a treaty <laughs> you stay in that end of the house I'll stay in this end of the house there's a treaty and that's basically what you got, but there's not peace. Then certainly there is not, again, we're going to have to recognize such things as peace of mind. So then you go on to the third definition is a state of mutual harmony between peoples or groups. So you're, let's say you're all, uh, let's say, Midwesterners. And you basically, here you have a state of harmony. You believe, you know, this basic concept of life and how it should be. However, on the West Coast, you've got these liberals over here that are fruits and nuts. And that's the way you're thinking about it. But your group is at peace. Or in a neighborhood, you know, your family's at peace, but your neighbors are at war and all of that. So, peace is not just your group being peaceful and happy with itself I I think it misses what Jesus has in mind for all of that so what the apostle Paul told the church at Philippi was this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 again his heart's desire as we look at these things he says in chapter 4 and verse 7 to us and reminds us again in this regard beginning in verse, and the peace of God. Okay, now, there's a difference between the peace of God and your peace and my peace. I can be real happy with myself, and if everybody would do things the way I want them and the way in which I want them, at convenient times, it would be a lot more peaceful. Um, Man, the the grandkids were running around all over the place yesterday, and last evening they were yelling and shouting and all of those things, and they were having a great time. I don't know. Maybe Miss Frank could tell me more about this, um, because you've admitted that you're older than us, though you had to admit it. We wouldn't have known it. But as the years go by, my skin gets Thinner. You know, I get a little more sensitive to things. And though I can't hear as well as I used to be able to hear, there are certain sounds I hear, and it's just like, I just, I want it to be. And then, as I said, I was dancing around toys here and there in the house that is normally organized they're or really nice and neat and all of those things. Had all kinds of things going on. And I was hearing bells in my ears at the same time. I say that only to be picking on Jim at this moment. But there's, a, there's a, a peace that comes from God. And we all have our own definition of peace. That is to say my grandkids were having lots of fun, enjoying it. But we're talking about the peace of God. And it says, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in the Apostle Paul, when we're talking about that Jesus is our peace, it transforms or transcends all understanding. So we have to imagine for a moment the kind of peace that Jesus offers to us is a peace that has a love for God. I'm going to start with this, going back to the very basics of the commandments of God. It is a, is it a peace that has a love for God because I don't think that you can have peace without having a love for God. And then the second is a love for neighbor. And again, how inclusive is Jesus in having peace? Because I find it difficult. So let me use an example of this. Because many of you have children, or will have children, and like, and you've got—let's say you've got four children, and three are doing well, and one is not doing well at all. Now, how peaceful is that? Well, you say, well, that's seventy five percent peace. Three out of four ain't bad. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like twenty five percent peace. It's kind of inverted in a sense, because you're concerned about them. You're worried about them, you want, and you're obsessing about them. You're waking up in the night and thinking, "Oh, what about this and what about that?" And you don't have peace. You know or, or if our children are sick have health issues and the like or parents or whatever it might be we don't have that peace that we would have but when we understand about God and we have an understanding about God and we have an understanding about God's plan and God's purpose and what God is doing we have a peace it's a different peace that comes from God now then the question we have to ask is that how has God made peace possible for us those are some of the questions that we're looking at today and for example we find in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 talking about how that he has made peace for us and it says and through him to reconcile himself to all things whether things on the earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross now it's important for us to understand Jesus's peace that He gives to us. So let's take a look at how people view this, and how that a incorrect view of this does not bring peace. It's telling us that through the blood of Christ on the cross and all that, that He brought us peace. What we what we hear and sometimes think, and we do not have peace. And I remember this statement being made to me, coming you know. In church and all of that and actually it was a question that was asked of me at baptism I was counseling for baptism and the question to me was well Steve who killed Christ that was easy enough for me I said the Romans wasn't the right answer that's not the answer they wanted the answer they wanted and the answer that I lived with for years and years and years and years was I killed Christ if I were the only person on the face of the earth he would have had to die for me so the end result in your thinking is you're responsible for the death of Christ what is the reality Here I am, Lord. Long before we ever came along, he chose to give up his life. And here's how Jesus then brings us the peace. He says to us, Look, this is part of the great plan that my Father and I have put into place to help you to understand. And what I want you to know is I gave up my life willingly for you. I don't want you to live all of your your life with this nagging unsettling lack of peace that you have because you think you did this to me. No, I chose to do this. And there's in that changing This is what I think that Jesus would tell us, and what the Bible does tell us, that before the foundation of the world, he died for us. He was willing to do that. As he told the authorities there, you can't take my life. I give it up, and and I take it back. It changes our relationship with Jesus and the peace that we can have. You think about Old Testament Israel and the Passover, again, the passing over our sins. But, you know, the next day we're still back in the same boat again. And when we recognize the difference between a Passover and a communion, that we have communion, that we have a relationship with, with Christ, it changes. And this peace that is made through the cross, well, think about, the, for example, some of the things that the cross brings us peace. It brings us peace with Jesus in this sense Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. As opposed to, imagine this, you're going to get yours. You did this to me, and all of that. Imagine living with that. This this understanding that Jesus, even on the cross, in his great pain, asked, his father and prays for us forgive us and it gives us a sense of peace that we would not have otherwise he is actively bringing peace to us in ways that sometimes we don't understand the peace that Jesus brings us by being born a child and living among us and the example that he modeled for all of us brings us a sense of peace Brings us a sense of peace. For example, if you were a leper, and he heals you. If you were a prostitute, and he forgave you. And, and, he, and he reminds you, I don't condemn you for this, but go and sin no more. If, if you're Peter, and you deny him, and forsake him. Jesus gives us incredible peace that we wouldn't know otherwise. His humanity that he shows to us and all the things that he did for us. Because, you see, Christ and the cross are essential to our peace and who he is and what he has done. Without Jesus, people cannot know the peace of God that is given to us through him. Now, what did the angels say? You think about in a world where we're very concerned about aliens coming and the like... When Jesus was born in in Luke chapter 2, and we give us this example again of his birth, and we talked about it last week, but in verse 13, we find it. it reminds us of this. uh, In in Luke chapter 2, let's see here, verse 13, I've got to get the right chapter. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, now again, the message says, again, something that is peaceful. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men in whom his favor rests. You think about again, peace on earth to men in whom God's favor rests. This is the message that we get from a magnificent multitude, great multitude of, of heavenly hosts that are singing a song, and it's like you think you're so awestruck by it. You would be in fear, and they were in fear, and yet the message is one of peace now, but not only does that not stop there Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 33 he himself gives us this admonition and understanding he says I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in him we have peace told them what things that He's telling them things that are going to be difficult for them. In the future, they're going to be scattered. This is going to happen and that is going to happen. I'm telling you this in advance so that in me, you will have peace. In this world, this is important for us to understand because we have expectations. In this world, you will have trouble. That appears to be a pretty accurate prophecy for us all. We have our difficulties in this world. But take heart. Again, a peaceful statement and a commentary on who Jesus is. Take heart, I have overcome the world. No. As opposed to Jesus saying to us, I have overcome the world and you must do exactly all the things that I have done. I, you're, you know, What is ahead of you is... For you to overcome the world, you must be nailed to the cross. You must die this death. You must go through all the things that I have done. And by the way, you must live perfectly. And you think, oh my, how will I ever accomplish that? But not only how will I accomplish that, how will people that I love accomplish that? How will my children and grandchildren accomplish that in a world that is appears to get wickeder and wickeder and calls those things that are evil as being good and and vice versa. He says, I have overcome the world. And that, again, is a very hopeful and encouraging thing. But he goes on further to tell us also in chapter 14 of John in verse 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. Now, this is what Jesus leaves with us. we think about the Holy, by the way, the Holy Spirit is very peaceful. It's a counselor, it's a comforter, it's a reminder, it's a, a guide, a counselor. He says, again, verse 27, my peace, a peace I leave with you. And then I like this personalization because this is the reality. My peace. Jesus' peace is different than our peace. Remember uh, when we are talking about peace, well, if your group is happy and all of that, then, then you got peace. Or if your country is at peace and the rest of the world is... No, Jesus said, my peace I give you. And you talk about it. And I believe it is an incredible gift from God. God is a perfect gift giver. And when he gives us peace, And you think about, well, how does God give us peace? Well, he gives us peace in incredible and wonderful ways. He says, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So these definitions of peace miss the mark when it comes to Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I tell you, when we do not have peace, we're terrorized, we're afraid. So it's a contradiction between the world's definition of peace and source of peace. The world's definition is an absence of war is peace in man's world or having individually what we want and we consider to be peaceful when we want it and, and how we want things. The thought that we can have peace our own way and, again, in our own heads and minds we, we can be a bit crazy and have peace or that we can do nothing and have peace that's not what Jesus tells us Jesus tells us for example in the Sermon on the Mount blessed are the peacemakers we have a responsibility in making peace and there's a joy in knowing how Jesus made peace and being gracious living in a world and not being part of it there's an incredible tension there But Jesus is the perfect model of that. And as I've read from Colossians 1 verse 20 through 22, it is the peace through the cross that he has made. So for us, for example, we have peace with God because we know certain things about Jesus and Jesus is our peace because we know that we are redeemed. We know that we are forgiven. And we we also know that how forgiven are we? Completely forgiven. We know that we are reconciled. We know that we are friends of Jesus. We know that Jesus loves us. We know the Father loves us. We know that Jesus shares truth with us. And he is the light of the world. We, we have peace in this regard. As Austin mentioned in his prayer over the offering, We know that we have salvation. We know that we're on an incredible journey, and it gets rocky, and it gets scary, and all of that. But we have salvation because there is a Lord and Savior. We know that we have a high priest who dwells in heaven, who makes intercession for us, and knows us, and knows our frame, and our weaknesses, and invites us to come. Come before his throne boldly with grace and then so we have peace because Jesus is our peace he is our intercessor he between us and the father and that we know this and Paul mentions this in this way in Colossians 3 verse 15 we have the peace of God that rules in our hearts and minds so when we read the book of Ephesians here, and I want to just briefly touch on these scriptures and the like in Ephesians chapter 2, here are some of the things that we see in Ephesians 2 that gives to us peace that the Apostle Paul is writing to them. And in, in beginning here in chapter 2, and we'll actually begin in verse 11 and 12, because this is where we have been. This is where we return to from time to time. But here's what Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth. now he's talking to a group of individuals you know they, they weren't part of it, but again, we need to be reminded that we've acted as that as he says called uncircumcised by those who call themselves of the circumcision that is done in the body by the handsome men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ and While we were yet sinners, we remember that, that Christ died for us. You're excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to be the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. So that's a terrible place to be, without hope and without God in the world. But then he says to us, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And this is what the blood of Christ does in the way that Jesus sacrificed. He draws, he says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And we are drawn to Christ. And then we're reminded not only this, and it gives us peace, that no one can come to Christ, woe, except this is the Father's involvement, John 6, verse 44, except the Father draw him. We are drawn to Christ, we enjoy being in his presence. So that's peaceful to know that, that we're made near by the blood of Christ. We now know that our sins are forgiven. But also, this is important, we also know that the sins of others are forgiven. Because without knowing that the sins of others are forgiven, this, the, the idea of me and me alone does not go very far. This is one of the beauties of what God has given to us. He gives us marriage, and in marriage we have a partnership. And we're not alone. It's, uh, we think about um, Karen and I think about getting ready for, for the family, the grandkids, the two of us working together to get all of that done. I was explaining that to my stepdaughter this past week. It's like this is done because we, we both work together to get this done and we enjoy working together, and we have a purpose. And even though I say that I'm thin-skinned and sensitive and all of these things, there's a reason to do that. And the reason we have the grandkids in part is because not only do we enjoy the grandkids, but we send the parents home. After Our gift for them on Christmas is, you go home, leave the kids, enjoy a weekend by yourself. And what you're going to hear is silence and peace and all that. Oh, by the way, in this whole process, don't forget to treat each other real good during that period of time. Don't go home with, oh, I, you know, I can't stand you and all that, because people do those kind of things, get into a tood. You know, it's not a good tood, but it's a tood. And the like. But enjoy one another. So when you know the sins of others are forgiven, It's really helpful. Especially if you've got children and you're thinking, well, right now they're not in a real good place with God. And yet, here's the thing I know about God He's the perfect gift giver and He gives the gifts just at the right time. For my granddaughter, uh, that I drew her name, I, I gave her a coloring book and she was real excited about that. But unbeknownst to me, I just had this thought I bought her a watch because I hadn't done anything big for her but I bought her a watch and gave her a watch as well. Obviously I exceeded the $10 thing in, but I didn't know she didn't have one. I didn't know that she'd been looking for her watch all over the place. I didn't know that she was always asking her brother, well, what time is it and the like. didn't know any of those things. So, pardon the pun, Austin will appreciate it. It was a timely gift. God is right on tight. He is right on tight. Now, Now, who got the joy out of all? I got incredible joy thinking, Thank you, Lord. You know, you put in my mind a thought and all of those things, followed through on it, and I, I, you know, I'm just thankful to you that she's in, so enjoying it and that. See, this, this is the peace of God that He brings. And then the peace of God in verse 14 of this is that we're made one. A oneness that comes only from God. So when you think about the the our peace in Jesus is that Jesus is bringing the whole world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believe on should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a oneness to you know Jesus and the Father. We're connected by the Holy Spirit. And it says there is no partition between us and God. Think about the ancient Israel when they went into the, the holy place and there's a temple, and the veil, and all of that. No, you and I can kneel down or take a walk or drive along and we can pray to God and come into his presence. We can enter the most holy place. And the other thing about this piece is that we're made a new man. It goes on verse 15. It says you're a new man. This is nice to know, and it brings peace when you're made new. Living in the will of God with the commandments of Christ, loving one another as he has loved us. That's, that's a new person. And then it tells us in verse 16, the fullness of reconciliation. And I know I've used this term time and time again. And it's my version of all of this, but it's what makes sense to me. When I think of reconciliation, I think, and, and this is totally ridiculous, but you think of your worst sins, past or present. Hopefully they're past, but they may be present and or in the future. But anyway, you think and you sit down, as it were, with Jesus. You're crossed from one another and you look the Lord in the eyes, and He looks you in the eyes, as He did with Peter, and His eyes, and His heart, and His hands, and His words say, I have nothing against you. Not only do I have nothing against you, I love you. It will melt you like butter. I mean, it's peace. So how in the world can we be invited to the Lord's Supper and feel unwelcome? Food does not digest very well if you feel unwelcome, but it's that welcoming. And this is what the incarnation of our Lord reminds us. How welcome that we are into the human race and how welcome we will be into the spiritual kingdom that God is preparing. So is the fullness of reconciliation... Jesus didn't stop there. He preached peace. It is the gospel of peace. It's more than words with Jesus. His gospel is peace. Jesus is a true man of peace. A true man of peace. And Jesus draws people to himself. He does that. In verse 18, he goes on to tell us the peace the Holy Spirit. By giving us access to the Father. A peace in knowing that the Father loves us. Jesus tells us that. That we have a heavenly relationship with the Father. And then verse 19, this peace that we're no more strangers. My, my stepdaughter was asking me, well, You just got these little congregations, you know? why why do you drive all these distance? Which are logical questions? Why don't they just go elsewhere? And my answer is we're we're family. We've been family for 50 years. It's like I hear this from women more than men. Why would I go marry some other old guy and have to retrain him and the like? (laughs) Sorry, George, <laughs> because women, you know, tend to think that they're, they're going to retrain. their And if a guy's got any sense, he'll he'll learn and grow and all that. But it's, it's a piece that we're no more strangers, but we're fellow citizens. But he doesn't end there in that statement in the book of Ephesians. He says, fellow citizens and saints. This is so gracious, that God is so gracious in our imperfections and the like, And he makes us feel like family. He makes us feel like part of him. And, of course, we we feel part of him because his spirit dwells in us, and we, we cry, Abba, Father. You see, there's a peace in knowing Jesus. Without Jesus, you and I cannot know this peace. And as Paul said, you know, the life I now live, it's not me. It's Jesus who lives his life in me because He loves me and I love him. This is what? And then we think about this and we think, well, whoa, well, I got a long ways to go till I really know peace, then we're reminded in verses 20 through 22, we are built on the foundation and Christ is the chief cornerstone in all of this. If we're going to know peace, it has to be through Christ. It isn't just a peace in our corner of the world, in our moment. If we're going to have peace in our heart, in our mind, in our lives, in the inner part of our soul, we must be built upon Christ, who, by the way, as the prophecies told us, and we're just beginning to grow and understand and see, because he just continues to unwrap unfold as it were gloriously and we hold in our hands the Prince of Peace we have life Jesus is our peace we give thanks to him and may you have a blessed week in the peace of God to his glory let's conclude in prayer Father we thank you very much for the peace that you give to us for the love, the caring, and the sharing in spite of our imperfections Father in heaven we have hope we have Father that through Jesus Christ who is the incarnate Lord who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and truly is the Prince of Peace in his name we give you thanks Amen Feeling the blues today? Or tired of life already? Do you have questions about life? Or need spiritual advice? The Worldwide Church of God is located in Fairfield, Santa Rosa, and Modesto, California. We welcome everyone to attend our worship services with us every week at the times listed on your screen.